This is your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome to the All In Podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce you all to an incredible guest, Curtis Gabriel. Curtis is a professional hockey player in the NHL. Curtis does a lot of advocacy for LGBTQ plus rights. He also advocates for mental health. And he shares his story quite authentically, both in this podcast as well as on his social media channels. We talk about how he was passed over twice in the draft and then made it to the NHL. He has a very unlikely journey towards going pro in hockey. We talk about the mindset behind his role. We talk about how he takes care of his mental health on the road, how he's doing so, especially in this past season. We also talk about how we can make professional sports more LGBTQ plus inclusive when he thinks maybe we might see the first openly gay active athletes in sports like the NHL and advice for the next generation of athletes. Really, this conversation goes over a multitude of important topics. We get deep, we get real, and I really enjoyed talking to Curtis of all things about mental health, mindset, training, advocacy work, and everything in between. So without further ado, let's go all in. All right, welcome back to the All In Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Curtis Gabriel. Curtis, thank you so much for joining me. No problem, thank you. I'm sorry I had to pass on you the first time. I had stuff going on in my life, obviously, but I'm happy to join you now. And I I love seeing what you're doing on social media and the messages you're spreading. So I was really looking forward to this. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad we're finally connecting now that your your season's done and you're back in London. How has that transition been from being on the West Coast in the US and coming back up to Canada? Yeah, it is interesting going to, you know, having to quarantine for two weeks, um, after being, having me and my girlfriend, both having vaccinations, she came down and was able to get them. Um, you know, you're tested all the time and then you have to go through the border and, and just kind of be stuck in here. I tried to take advantage of it, get back on my clean eating. And, um, after kind of eating a bunch of junk food at the end of the year and just tried to de-stress, uh, relax, relax the body and do a little couple body weight workouts before, uh, getting out of quarantine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've quarantined life. I could not even imagine. I've had tons of snowboard friends who like they came back from the season and it's been tough because also they had to stay like overseas for a big part of the season, because if they just kept coming back, there's two weeks lost every single time. Yeah. How was that like, like managing the past couple seasons with all the different changes with how it was running? Uh, I don't know. It's just, just different. Uh, nobody was expecting, you know, a taxi squad and how to deal with that. Uh, it was very frustrating to, you know, be stuck between the NHL and the AHL times and not being able to be prepared for games as much, but, uh, it was their first time going through it too, as an organization. So they didn't know the right answers. And there's these rules where we can only be at the ring three hours a day and all this stuff. So I don't know, it was, it was a frustrating year, but I just tried to keep going back to, even when I was, it didn't work every time, but I'm so grateful to just have a job in hockey, um, East coast, only a certain amount of teams played, you know, uh, other guys didn't get contracts they wanted or, or lower pay or had to go over in Europe. And I was just like, you know what, I'm here. Um, try to just not get too frustrated, even though I'm, I'm a passionate guy about that stuff. So I was just constantly trying to check in mentally, but it was very difficult. 
Yeah, man, I could, I can only imagine that it's been crazy for any athlete traveling and trying to compete in the past couple of years because a lot of sports, especially at the lower level, have been just totally canceled. College level, some totally canceled. And then pro level, it must be just really tough, like being away from family even, because usually they might be able to travel with you. You can kind of have your crew, but all of a sudden you're completely isolated, um, which is like similar to some individual sports. But as a team athlete, you're probably not used to that. Yeah. And not being able to hang out with guys as much away from the rink. I'm not as much of, I'm older now, so I'm not, you know, I like to go out and de-stress with the guys sometime and, and have a couple of drinks over and relax, but we didn't really get to do that. Um, I think it affected some other guys more who really like rely on that stress relief. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it worked. It was a double-edged sword. I got 10 months to be with my girlfriend, a new relationship at home and, and have that time in quarantine. But then once I left, it was four months straight without seeing her. So it was kind of like, you know, we got 10, but we had to subtract four, but eventually we got back together and, um, didn't, my mom didn't get to come down. Like she always does once or twice a season. Um, so she's got her second vaccination tomorrow, I believe. And I think they're supposed to lift the, uh, ban on, uh, if you can, if you're fully vaccinated, you can come and go without quarantine, I think starting sometime in July, I'm hoping. So yep. that'll hopefully change a lot of things. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to that. I think now I just moved to the Quebec side of the border, but I'm like still 15 minutes from downtown Ottawa. So I haven't been able to see my family for months, despite them being like half an hour away because they've been like police guarding the border. Um, but that ended today. So that's pretty exciting, but I'd love to touch on that. You didn't see your girlfriend for like four months. Cause similarly uh, at the start of the whole pandemic, my boyfriend and I went three months without seeing each other. Cause we lived in different cities and obviously everything was super serious for those first few months. Um, how was that transition? Because I feel like people haven't talked about that pretty often, but I feel like it's weird. Like when you have a significant other that all of a sudden you don't see for so long, it's so weird, like meeting up with them again, mm -hmm. especially in like a newer relationship. We'd only been, you know, together. I think, like, I think I got eight, eight months of dating at that point. Yeah. I think that check that's about right. So then to be away for four was definitely a, a, a kind of a, shock to the system especially her she's uh, younger than me too and then she'd never done that before i'd done distance before so i kind of knew what to expect and uh it's just a lot of facetime dates i mean it's every night probably for two hours hour and a half minimum um just to keep that that you know emotional connection strong i, I know it's obviously different but my mom's a huge part of my life too having one parent growing up and it was kind of turned into that it was like this just like emotional relationship that it was different and um uh, I, I know I'm not worried about, you know, obviously this physical, physical aspect, but I'm just like, you know what, we just got to get through this, take our time. Like we're going to be okay. Um, we're so fortunate to be, you know, doing what we do in a pandemic. She, you know, has online school and her, her Instagram that she can profit off of. And I'm playing a pro job where other kids can't even play in the OHL or college and stuff. So I was just so happy to just, we just had to stick it out. <laughs> Yeah, well, glad to hear that you're now like reunited and things are obviously starting to open up. So light at the end of the tunnel, I'm I'm hoping, fingers crossed, you never know things are like a roller coaster. Just I know. I just don't know how like last summer, you know, this pandemic hits in March and you know, I still got to skate three, four times a week for months at a time and we got like scrimmages. We just went up north Ontario maybe an hour to like a smaller town at the rink and we're able to, the restrictions were, were easier there. We we're able to skate and it's like coming back after a season, it's like, you think it would be back to normal and it's worse. Like it's like you know, skills trainers I have don't have ice within an hour's drive. You know, they can't find anywhere. That's their income. They're having to like Airbnb out their house and stuff. Like it's, it's tough uh, to see that. And um, again, it just comes back to being grateful.
Yeah, no, hundred percent. Well, I want to first congratulate you on the King Clancy nomination. Um, I, you, you were a finalist, right? Of there's three people in the mm-hmm. final finals and then it was announced Monday, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's so cool. I want like, I want to ask you about, because especially the things that you're advocating for and what you were recognized for is advocating for LGBTQ plus rights, as well as um, mental health, which are both like pretty taboo subjects in pro sports, but also like, especially with the NHL. So how did it feel to have those groups recognized through your nomination? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like I'm kind of used, trying to use myself as like a vessel for those uh, causes, right? Um, it was mostly LGBTQ, a little bit of Black Lives Matter kind of movement and, and trying to, you know, learn a little bit about that. But yeah, mental health is always a part of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, tumbling to be that representation for them. I'm trying not to center myself and that's something I'm really learning at. It's like, I'm such a gung-ho guy and passionate. I just like run, run right at things if I'm passionate about it and with allyship and working in these things, it's kind of the opposite approach. I need to kind of learn and, and kind of, so I've had to slow down a bit and I have a lot of people who were like, you know, whoa, 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 you're, you're doing too much. And um, it's all about amplifying and supporting. So I think, you know, again, it's, it shouldn't be about the ally being nominated, right? It's like, it should be about the cause I'm nominated for. And for it to get that platform uh, was huge. Just so people to read, you know, the Clancy and this is why Curtis Gabriel's here for it. That's awesome. So hopefully going forward, um, continue to do things and we can just keep pushing it to be more of a mainstream thing. And there's that double-edged sword of, you know, visibility of like pride nights and, and all these rainbow washing everywhere, but we need some substance behind it too. And um, I think there's a kind of a culture shift happening that hopefully keeps continuing. Um, it's probably going to get a little messy with things because, you know, there's like a power struggle, but I think we need to hand power over to these people that understand these issues. And that's what I'm trying to advocate for. Like bring in these people that know this stuff, bring in the people like we don't know We're we haven't lived it. We're the NHLs run by a bunch of white dudes, straight, <laughs> privileged, you know, cisgender. We don't know. We don't know. So let's try to hand over that power and turn the keys over to them to run it properly. That's what I just think. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think we can create change in sports like this? And how do you think like advocacy, like, like you're doing, but other things as well, especially in the NHL to change the culture, because last year was like, it was a crazy year, I think for NHL news stories when it came to like the text message leaks that were going on. And so the misogyny, um, I know that was even a big conversation with girls. I used to play hockey with, we were like sitting around the table talking about that kind of stuff. Um, and just that culture. And then there was black lives matter. Um, and that whole that whole thing and how it worked into hockey culture as well. And then of course, um, LGBTQ and how there really isn't any like openly gay pro athlete in like the NHL or some major sports like that yet. There's been some people who've like came out afterwards, Mm -hmm. but we still haven't had like an active player. So what do you think needs to change for it to just be culturally accepted or what is already happening maybe behind the scenes that's getting us there? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a huge uh, topic. And I try to just, echo the words of people that I work with that I said, do understand it. And, um, you know, you look at the different sports, basketball, football, baseball, um, there's much more representation of BIPOC people. Um, they, they kind of know what it's like to be oppressed. And I think they bring these issues a lot more to the forefront because they live, lived them. You see how quickly the NBA responded to those things. Um, whereas the NHL, unfortunately, it's just a stark reality. Like it's a middle-class to elitist sport. It's mostly white. Um, it's mostly people that probably have a lot of money and certain views uh, about that and conservative views and really 
you look at hockey culture, it's so different than a lot of sports like basketball, football, baseball. A lot of them go through college where they're going to getting educated and stuff. Hockey players, especially top players playing major junior and stuff, you're with the same group of guys from like seven or eight years old if you're an elite player till you're in the NHL and you hang out with those guys nonstop. You hang out with them in the summer. You train with them. You're learning from coaches from the past generation, which was worse with this stuff. So it just perpetuates you know, the toxic masculinity, the super aggressive stereotype, the, you know, womanizing stereotype. It's, uh, it's, it's a real thing. And, uh, it has a long way to go. And I, it's tough because I was one of those guys and I, I'm trying to just be awake to that now and understand why that's not okay. And why we're like the role models for younger kids. And we have to lead by example, but it can't just be from the top down. It has to be from the bottom up. That's what Brock says. Brock McGillis, who's you know, the first openly former North American male professional hockey player to come out. Um, he thinks it's got to be from grassroots and the top and kind of meet in the middle. So it, it's a massive issue. We'd probably go on it forever, but we just need more people. At least we're talking about it more, right? At least we're on this podcast. At least it's weight. It's more mainstream to talk about. Um, but we got to, we got to, it's that tough edge of calling people out to calling them in. You know, it's, it's a tough thing. You're, you have to understand that you're going to be wrong. Like I've been wrong so many times and yeah, nobody wants to be wrong, but that's how you learn from it. It's okay to grow from that. It's okay to be wrong about issues that we aren't educated on. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I like that, like top down, but also bottom up. And that's whenever I think about like, for example, with women's sports and how do we amplify that? I think about the same, like we need investment at the top and we need to work it down. But at the same time, it's like starts with the culture at the lower level. Like what do parents, how do they treat their sons differently than their daughters and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense with the culture and what you said, where the guys are with that one group all the time. So they're not necessarily getting that diversity. And it's also what I try to explain to young female athletes, if they're getting hate on by like teen boys or whatever, I like try to explain to them. I'm like, imagine you're a teen boy in your class or on your hockey team. And you want to fit in with the kids that are a year older or whatever it is, whatever they say, you're going to kind of follow and do, and you can't really blame them for it because it's just like human culture. You want to fit in, you're going through, you know, hormonal changes, all these, these changes. And so like how do we actually change that culture in the first place because it is natural for them to fit in with whoever like the alpha is on the team mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah 100 guys are gonna i look at it almost as like it's kind of strange but this is a weird analogy but like in junior and stuff you don't see a lot of guys like spitting everywhere but then in pro <laughs> do you ever see the look on the bench of the camera like all the guys in the NHL just spitting all the time yeah and kids pick that up i remember being like i'm a little like different i kind of I'm a little more of like not a follower thing. So I'm just always like, why is everybody spitting everywhere? But that's guys see the older guys doing it in the camera on hockey night in Canada. Like, Oh, I got to do that. I got to look cool. I got to, I got to always look at the scoreboard after a hit. Like it's like strange how it filters down. So um, that's just like a weird small thing, but think about the big things like homophobic language. Um, It's just rampant. And I was an abuser of that. I had no idea. I was growing up. I'm going to train with older guys and I'm like, Oh, that's cool to say. And you just say it. And it's, it's shocking that that's, I mean, I didn't mean anything by my words, but it, it does not matter. It's the, it, the tension doesn't matter. It's you're hurting someone. There's could have been many gay players that I've been in a locker room with, with that hurt them. And I've heard those stories from gay hockey players that have come out now. So yeah, it's um, that's why we need, it might take a while because we have people in power that come from a different generation that think, Oh, I don't mean these things, but they just, they say them anyway. Um, even going to like, like, you know, white fragility when it comes to black lives matter stuff. Like I wasn't raised talking about race. So if somebody said, Oh, something about racism. I'm just like, Oh, I don't say the N word. I'm not racist. I don't need to be in this discussion. It's like, no, no, no. 
I do things every day by turning a blind eye to those things that keep up and uphold things. Uh, instead of me, you know, saying, Hey, like, that's like, this isn't okay. Like we're, you know, we, just because you don't say a blatant uh, act of racism doesn't mean you're not having a lot of microaggressions and saying a lot of things that aren't correct. So it's, it's going to take a while because of the uh, um, education aspect, but hopefully we can just get more guys like, you know, from the top leading with example, get organizations working with the leagues to, to make it better. And then we have people that start coming into coaching roles and, and parent roles that understanding are and open to change and, and learning something and passing it on to their kids. Mm, yeah, that's so true. The microaggressions are, yeah, it's hard. And it's hard to like learn to call out your friends. Um, and going back to that same example, like it would be very hard for like a teen boy to call out his friends. That would be just insane. And what, like, just like what you said, like those things that you see on TV or from the pros, they pass down. Like I played uh boys baseball. So I was like the only girl on my team when I was a kid. And so I wanted to fit in and they of course all were having like sunflower seeds because they saw the pros doing it. So like, I didn't even like sunflower seeds. I would literally just suck the salt off and spit them out. But like, I did that too. Yeah. And then I switched to peanuts. Cause I was like, I like to actually eat them. This is weird. I don't want to break off the shells. I, it's, I, it's the same thing you know, I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you just follow whatever you see, right? Like what, what's the trend now is like the smelling salts are pretty big. Oh gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like guys like, are like, I'll do it. It's like a ritual thing. And I'm just sitting there like revving. Like I don't need coffee pre-workout. <laughs> I'm just like fired up to play on my own. I don't need this freaking stuff. Get away from me. It's like hurts my brain cells. And I smell that, but you're so right. Um, it's hard to talk about. Like I, I was, you know, I didn't get into these issues. So I was what, 26 almost. Till I started kind of waking up to it that like, wow, I am white, cisgendered, straight, play pro hockey, middle to upper class growing up. The worst thing that's happened to me is, uh, you know, mental health affects everyone. My dad committed suicide. Like, you know, that's awful, but I've been pretty good. I have it pretty good. And to, I've never been thought, oh, my color of my skin or my sexual orientation or how, how I identify um, blocks me from anything. So it, it's understanding that, you know, once I got in with one issue, there's all these intersectionalities. If you understand one and support one, you really support all of them. Now we all, we all can't, we all don't have all the time today. We can't fight every issue, but you know, that's, that's pretty eye opening. I think if we can get guys to understand one issue and then see like, okay, well, so you understand a person with sexual orientation different than heterosexual. It's like, well, what if they're also BIPOC? What if they're also uh, disabled? Could you imagine what they're going through on a day-to-day basis oh, yeah. and how they're viewed and how we don't go through any of that? So when guys are just talking about, what's this white privilege, man? It's like reverse racism. It's like, oh my <laughs> God, like, dude, like uh, it's hard in that situation to call in and have compassion because it's so out there, but you have to understand I was there too. So it's always this hard line of how hard do you go at them and be like, Hey man, that's not acceptable. Or and be like, dude, like, I don't think you realize how wrong what you just said is, and I'm trying to help you here. It's, it's such a hard thing to talk about. And that's why things take forever to change. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's such a, it's a difficult conversation and it can, yeah, it can really get confrontational, which then doesn't really help things. And I know, especially when black lives matter came about, it was hard with like, even some people close to me and like trying to get them, okay, like watch this movie or read this book, but it was really cool to see the change where someone would actually like read that book or watch that movie. And suddenly they're advocating for others to like, you got to read, watch this or read this. And especially when people can say I was like this before and then watching this or learning about this has led me to be like this now. I think that's like the biggest story that needs to be amplified because it shows people, okay, like some learning about this is actually going to help me change. So like, I need to do this work and go through this process to actually learn about all these things so that I can change my mindset. Because again, like people get stuck with their white fragility and all those things. And they're like, 
like, I don't need to learn this. I don't need to do this, but if they can just take that like one step, it can change a lot of things. So are there any like people to follow on Instagram or books or like people that you've learned from that you'd recommend anyone listening, go check out? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you got to follow Brock McGillis on Instagram and Twitter. He's unbelievable. Uh, people can just, you know, even people have said this to me when I barely do any diffraction that he does that they kind of, what I put out, they kind of follow along as like an ally, like what to be kind of paying attention to. But if you follow him, it's to another level. So him and Renee Hess, who uh, works at black or founded black girl hockey club, she's up for the NHL community award. I hope she wins that. Um, I, who else? Uh, Check your privilege is an account. I follow a lot human rights campaign. It's just constantly putting out things that you can kind of take, you know, you're scrolling through Instagram, take a quick read of, and it's just constantly feeding new things in your mind, like how deep these issues run. Um, and, and I keep hearing, actually, I keep saying, you know, humanizing education is the, is the way to go in it, but it's hard for the people that have lived these. It's like, I don't need to, I shouldn't have to be humanized for you to care about me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that kind of really stuck with me. It's like, holy cow, like it shouldn't be on these people to make all these changes. Of course, there's going to be some like Brock and Renee who rise to the top that want to make that change. But we need as like the white people who don't know what's going on need to continue to like push each other. You know, I'm not going to like force it all the time on guys, but like me and my mom talk about it all the time and we'll have conversations pop up now where it's like, Oh, did you notice this? And talk about it with my girlfriend and she might talk about it. Just constantly having a little more awareness about it is going to help a lot of people. And like who you would rush to help your mom, if she came out as gay later in life or a friend came out, like we'd all rush to do that. So why not just because you don't have some in your bubble, you need to see podcasts like this, see posts that I'm sharing, see things that Brock's sharing. Be like, wow, like, there's a big issue here. Right. And we, you know, even on social media, like it doesn't matter if you have 20,000, a hundred thousand followers, even having 500, like 200, like you still have that large of an audience that can be impacted. And you never know who's in that audience who like seeing something can help them feel accepted and let them know like it's okay to be who they are, which is, I saw a great post today about um, pride month and why it's important, like that we still have this pride month because a lot of people are still sitting at home and thinking like, it's not okay to, to be gay. And so you need to amplify these messages versus like, we don't need to amplify the messages of white privilege or these things. Like, because you hear people argue, right. They're like, well, where's the straight month or where's the white people day. And that just, it's just like, I'm like, can, can you get more ignorant than saying those things? I know it's, it's shocking. Once, once you're on like the, I don't want to say enlightened, but you're, you kind of are like, wow, these things exist. You start to see things a lot like that. Just like, wow, like that's always been there. And I didn't know. Um, I'm trying to think of examples. I guess the homophobic language is a big one. Like, cause I, I still have the urge sometimes to say things. It's out of habit. And yeah. it's still in the back of my mind. I'm like, Oh, what the hell? Why am I still doing that? And, and I always try to say that when I do correct people, it's like, dude, I'm right there with you. I, I, I've said that before so many times. It's just, it's just not okay anymore. It's going to take effort to change it. You know, uh, guys and my team in, in COVID uh, were not able to hang as much, but the year before it's like, I kind of was like the, like the language police a little bit. And they're like, Gabe, come on. It's like, no, but it, like, it matters, man. There could be someone in here that's closeted, man. It's, we don't have a player. We need to start doing small things to make it okay. But it's, you see different NHLs liking tweets and sharing things. And it's, it's like shocking, you know, how, how people just believe it's hard though. People believe what your parents, you know, what they tell you, they raise you. So if they're not turned on to these things, they're going to pass down things to you, but it comes to a point in time. I've met so many people now who have been like, that just didn't seem right. And once I just looked into a bit, the truth is not that hard to find. It's really not that hard to find. You could Google's right there. 
You know, you can find things that aren't biased, that aren't fake news. Like it's like science. It's real. That's why you have antibiotics. When you're sick, you go get antibiotics and it fixes you. That was studied and produced to help you. Well, the same thing has been studied with LGBT people. Um, you know, black lives matter, like the history evolution, like we all came from black people. Like it's not that hard to figure out. Um, but it's just constantly just trying to nudge people towards it. If you just scream at them and stuff, I feel like a lot of people are going to shut down because they're so fragile. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think it's just, it's kind of natural for people, unless they've done the work to kind of be anti-fragile and open to feedback and to rethink things. There's a great book. Um, I think it's called Rethink. I could be wrong, but it's by Adam Grant. And it talks about that, about, you know, just always rethinking and being open to, to rethinking. Um, and I think that's a good one, but exactly what you said with like, maybe you're talking to your teammates and there could be someone closeted, but at the same time, if the language you use with the teammates and then you like try to change it in public, that's going to be really difficult because it's ingrained with the people you're spending all your day with. You're still using the homophobic slurs or whatever. Then like you said, it's going to be really hard to try to like not automatically use them when all of a sudden you're in different situations. So I think that's why even just changing the language you use, regardless of if you're surrounded by BIPOC people or LGBTQ people is so important because that language will carry over to every other interaction you have. Exactly. And it's what I try to just preach through my stuff is like, it's just a growth mindset. It's that's should be applied to everything in life. I feel like, you know, maybe not going off topic, but like a lot of people are just closed minded and I've had people say they're decided minded about their religion and their faith that they can't accept, you know, LGBT people, they're mentally ill. It's not a thing. And I'm like, you know, that's, 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 that's not acceptable to be decided minded about something. You know, it's just not, we all should live our lives with a growth mindset and have an open mind to learn at all times. That's what we're meant to do. Like that's where happiness is found is growing and improving and learning to just plunk down on the couch and, and not care about stuff after work and just want to drown out. And oh, hockey players don't speak out because just, just play hockey. Like, come on, that's yeah. ridiculous. Like I'm, I'm a person, I'm an emotional person. I'm a passionate person. I'm growing and learning, trying to just spread that, like grow and learn, have an open mindset find, seek the truth and have, do it with good intentions. You really can't lose. You might make mistakes like myself, but then if you just have a growth mindset, okay, I took the criticism. Okay. How can I change? I can grow from this. How am I going to seek the truth? How am I going to do it with better intentions? It's, it's it, I don't know. We're all, we're it's so comfortable as society. We don't want to be in a growth mindset. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really important and a good segue into talking about the growth mindset. And one of my favorite quotes is strong beliefs loosely held. So like, you know, be really passionate about what you believe in, but at the same time, like don't hold on to those beliefs as if they're your identity. But I think that's where we really go wrong is we hold on to these beliefs, whether it's who we are, like we are just the athlete, or it's like we believe this religious view or whatever it is that then that becomes our identity. And so when we get our beliefs challenged, it's like someone's challenging us as a person, which we shouldn't attach those beliefs because then all of a sudden we're getting under attack from everywhere when science changes, when opinion changed and so then that can be really difficult oh my gosh yeah like for me you know I've been when I uh I, I fell into pro hockey kind of I had I have an interesting weird story like I wasn't the top guy growing up um and I just at 16 my mom was like you might as well go try out for junior everybody else is and I was like okay and for since then I went on this crazy journey from 16 to 28 but I was so tied and I think I still am too much. I try to tell myself I'm not, I'm trying to work it out. I'm still identify as a hockey player too much. Um, it's, it's really hard to get that off, but I'm trying to slowly work at that. Like, I think 
having passions outside of it is very important. So I used to think, you know, guys going to college, it's like, why are you doing that? Like you just focus on hockey. You got to get to the show. You got to, you got to no, no plan B only plan A, but I, I don't think that makes you a well rounded person. Um, I was so, so engulfed in it for so long and it, it hurt me because every single back step was like a personal attack on my life. I, I, I equated like, bad things happen in hockey with like death almost you know yeah. what I mean? like it's yeah. weird to say but it's true and i have a and, and you and your life is judged if i'm having a good day in hockey i'm having a good day in my life i'm a good person if i'm not i'm a bad person i'm having a bad day that's so unhealthy so whatever it is with guys you know some guys have an outlet of video games but i've tried to find things where i like growing i like you know working on these issues um trying to grow my mental health um, trying to grow things in my girlfriend. I try to step away from it now. And I found success through that. I mean, um, I only got to play 15 games this past year, but it was because of COVID and ups and downs and, and taxi squad. But I, felt, I played the most consistent hockey because I felt like once I could leave it more at the rink, obviously I still ate well and have my habits in place, but I could go take my mind off it by learning something about uh, a social issue or, or, or whatever, something that, that led me to be productive in other areas, post-career speaking, doing podcasts, just such a stress reliever. Yeah, that's such an important reminder to any young athlete or anyone going through like the athlete transition or whatever it is listening, because I mean, we've had a, a ton of athletes on here who almost every story aligns with it took like either leaving the sport, you know, retiring a career ending injury or like something major that happened for them to switch the mindset of like their identity is so attached to the sport. And I mean, that's my story. Like when I didn't make the Olympics uh, a year later, I left the sport and I fell into a really deep depression because my entire identity was around this one goal that I set of making the Olympics and like, who am I now if I'm not competing in snowboarding? Like, it's just so hard to go through that. So I think you're you, you have a great mindset now while you're still playing to be slowly chipping away at that. Cause that will definitely help, um, when the day comes that you move forward into something else in your life. But I want to go back and could you walk me through that whole story of like the sports you played growing up, how you fell into hockey and then how you got to the pro level. Yeah, it's uh it's a crazy story. Um, people always tell me to like write a book about it. Maybe one day it's, it's still being written. Like it's still having great, like, you know, obviously I canceled our last podcast, crazy stuff still happened in my life. So um, I, I played everything pretty much growing up. My dad's favorite sports were, was baseball and basketball, played those, um, the triple a higher level, um, high school basketball as well. Uh, I was playing everything ultimate Frisbee. Like we, <laughs> we were really all the basketball, all the basketball guys went and played that. It was fun. All tall guys. Um, but then hockey always stuck out to me. Um, obviously growing up in Ontario, close to Toronto, it's just the cooler thing. I feel like if I grew up in like Louisiana or something, I'd be playing baseball, football, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so I just found it was the coolest, toughest sport. And, you know, at, at age 10, I got to play at the highest level for one year. I, I my dad, uh, got me released from all the teams. So political. And I went to play in Richmond Hill, which is like 20 minutes South. And the team was, uh, Barkley Goodrow, who's now in the Tampa Bay lightning. And it was me and him that made the team. And they, they knew who he was coming in. And they're like, you came out of nowhere. Like you're our go-to guys. And I'm like, wow, like 10 years old. I'm like, this is crazy. I didn't play pro for three years now or sorry, uh, rep hockey for three years now, but then my, my dad took his own life early in that season and all my confidence just like out the window. Um, I was playing like fourth line minutes at 10, which is crazy that they don't play everyone equally, but I, I just had no fun. My mom didn't know anything about hockey. She was just driving me there and back. So when I was season was over, it was a nightmare. She said, we just go back and play hockey for fun again. And I played all the lower levels. Um, was playing at like double a in my OHL draft year, not even on the radar. I thought OHL could have been the NHL. Like I had no idea about anything. Um, 
then I was just planning on going to play major midget, which is like, you know, 17, uh, 16 and 17, two age groups. And then these guys started trying out for the hometown tier two team, junior A. And mom's like, Hey, it's 50 bucks. If they're trying out, you should go try it. I'm like, I mean, I guess. And I, I played well and, and they said, well, we don't know who you are, but you can't go from double A to junior A. So go play major midget triple A. So we, there's a scout in the stands. He got me there. There I met a coach who was like, Hey, I know you're trying to move up and stuff. And I said, I guess I am. I'm trying out for teams now. And he's like, well, you're not going to be a goal scorer. Like you don't have the high end skill. So you're a big guy. You're going to play more physical. And I'm like, all right. So I told my mom, she's like, try it out. You don't have to do it if it's not suited for you and started hitting people. And I started taking a liking to it. I was always like an intense guy. I never getting like fights off the ice, but I, I really found like an outlet for it there. Um, and then it definitely started to be like, a try to prove it to my dad that I could make it kind of without him that started to kind of take hold of it. And then, um, I went back the next year. First, I broke my wrist in tryouts, but I, I trained all summer for the first time, like squatting with my wrist over the bar in a cast, <laughs> yeah. um, putting on some muscle for the first time. I was like 6'3", like 165. <laughs> I got up to like 170. I went back to the, the camp and I made the team the next year. And that was like, oh my gosh, like my mom's crying. Like I used to go to these games as a kid. You know, maybe I can go get a scholarship in a couple of years now. So I'm getting ready to play there. I'm back to training. I'm healthy. And then... Um, they just said to go try out or not try out. I already made the junior A team, but they had an affiliate junior C. So just go out to the junior C just to have free ice and compete at their tryouts. And instead of dogging it, I'm an intense guy. I went out there and was like smoking everybody and scoring. And there's another kid named Curtis who I used to play against the double A and they're from another town. Now we're allowed to fight. So we went at it and just having a blast. And so happened to be an OHL scout there watching his friend's son play, not scouting, just chilling. Cause it was just down the street from his house. And he, I walk off there. He's like, Hey, do you want to try out in the OHL? I'm like, what? I'm like, laughing. I'm like laughing. Like, are you kidding me? Like, dude, come on. I'm just happy to be in junior A. Mom came and picked me up. We, we came to a ride program. The firefighter was like, how's your night going? And he's like, we're like, we just got to try out in the OHL. What a joke. We're not going there. Like laughing about it. Like actually don't care. Calls in the next day. He's like, you're coming. I'm like, what? So I was like, all right, I guess we're going to try this. So I, I trained harder again, put on like 20 pounds that summer, starting to grow into my body. Um, got in really good shape and I went up there and I crushed the fitness testing running, ran like for three levels by myself in the beep test and got myself in the door and all of a sudden an OHL contract sitting in my lap, undrafted. So I was just like, me and my mom are sitting in the parking lot. Like you said, go think about it. We're sitting there like, we don't have anything to think about. We don't know who to call. I called this like random guy's dad who used to coach in the NHL. I was like, what do I do? And he's like, do you have a scholarship offer? I'm like, no. He's like, do you have an OHL contract offer? He said, yes. I said, yes. He's like, you got to take it. And I'm like, all right. So um, from there I was in the OHL, but I made the best team in the league that year. They won the championship. I barely played. I just practiced extra long and hard, uh, with the coach there. He, we had a really good connection, but he left to go to the NHL the next year. So the coach I put all that work in who loved me, he's gone. Now I'm going to impress a new coach. Um, I got randomly invited to the Phoenix Coyotes, um, training camp at 17, which it was crazy. It was like, I hadn't even played in the OHL yet. Now I'm at an NHL camp. Shane Doan's walking around. I'm like, I'm like a kid. I don't have a hair on my face. Like, <laughs> I made two cuts though. And I did well. And I was like, Holy, maybe I can play. And then my, everything just seemed to be going so well. My, my I'm 17. My, everything's tied to hockey. I'm like, Oh, I can't do anything wrong. Everything's just up. And I go back and have an awful season, like just terrible. It was like a, my rookie season really as an 18 year old when most guys are already drafted that age. So I had a terrible year and going into the summer, they said, we, we don't, you don't even have a spot on the team next year guaranteed. Like you gotta, you gotta get better and figure it out. My mom, uh, just said, we got to go all in then. I wouldn't trade all in podcast. <laughs> uh, went and traded Gary Roberts. And oh, yeah, uh, he's great. Yeah. He kind of gave me, like I said, like a discount too, because he loved how hard I worked, which is great. It's really expensive and got up to the playing weight I am now, 215. And I went back and 
I remember like in, tra- in training camp there, I was trying to make the team again. And I just remember going to the coach's office and be like, I need a chance. Like you can't just keep playing me on the like fifth line in, in practice. He put me on the third line with two other older guys and we just dominated. And for that year, we just, everything seemed to click. I started, you know, I worked on my fighting again this summer after getting beat up the year before. And now I beat up other guys. And um, all of a sudden I'm at Christmas party uh, halfway through the year. And my GM just walks up to me and my mom, I'm drinking like an apple juice. Like, you know, can't drink yet. And he's like, your son's going to get drafted to the NHL. And my mom almost like threw her freaking drink. She's like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know I was eligible. So then I had a good playoff. I go down to the draft. I get picked in the third round, Minnesota, and just a crazy couple of years how of the ups and downs to get to that point. And then that's that's how I got my uh, foot in the door of pro hockey. So just a crazy turn of events. Like it just no plan at all. Just had a little chance and went for it. That's that's pretty cool. I think that's awesome. And it I think it's it's kind of cool how you kind of had everything rolling for you. It was like going really well. And then you kind of had that setback. I think that's kind of important. And I see that a lot with people's stories because you kind of need that check when things start coming so easily, because otherwise, as things start coming so easily, like that fall from the top is much further if you haven't just like taken that little hit earlier on. I mean, it, it's gonna happen eventually. You know, I try to tell that to kids I train with now and stuff and see and look at Jack Campbell of the Leafs. He was like a prodigy goalie and hit, he, for him, it hit until after he was drafted first round and played a couple years pro. And then it hit him how he was trying too hard. And that's kind of like me. I was too invested in it. I was too thinking the plateau is just going to keep going. If I just went all out, it doesn't guarantee you results. It doesn't guarantee you um, things are going to happen outside of your control. And I just thought I could control everything. So when I was tied to that and thinking I could control everything, it ruined me. And I, I had to just go down to the depths. And I think I learned about myself to grind back up to the top. But I thought it, you, it's funny. You always think you learn from it. But then that same situation happened four more times in my career. So I had the, the big low the second year. Um, then uh, in my in my OHL, like uh, overage year, when I was back after being drafted, I had like concussion issues and then down the dumps again, thinking I did something wrong. That's, that's out of my control, like head bouncing off the glass. That's out of my control. Um, then I go to pro, I have a, I have a good first season. And then the second season I get up there and think I played well in the NHL, but I get sent down when I don't think I should. And now I'm thinking I did something wrong again. And it just kept happening over and over again. And I think finally, again, I thought I got over that. And then I go to Binghamton with Jersey and I, things happen out of my control. I play well. They take me out of the lineup. I lose confidence. I go down to the worst place ever. And then David Goggins book came out Mm. at the perfect time. Can't hurt me. And I just was just like, well, if they're not going to play me and I have zero confidence, the worst, the worst thing I can do is not try. I'm just going to show up at the rink extra early every day, work out, go harder, treat practices like games. And I work myself out. And then I got 22 games in the NHL, just turned around like a switch. And then I'm like, Oh, I figured it out. Now I got, I get it now. I, I get it now. Go back the next season, supposed to get signed to go play in Philadelphia and it's going to go great. And then the coach decides he doesn't want the role anymore. And now I'm in the minors the whole year. And you know, I, 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 fresh out of a relationship that was for three years and now I'm in the new emotional dumps and out of things I can't control again, I could have just, I should have just blocked it out. I can't control who makes decisions of what they want. I control how I work out. So uh, it, it led to me at quarantine hitting and being like, I got to change something in my life. So I did this like self-authoring program and I don't support Jordan Peterson and his views about most things, but he does have a great thing where you write out your life and you self-author your own kind of life. And I, I was able to identify those things, even though they're so obvious I was able to identify like five times I've cut my own head off and, and, and gone down this dark path by worrying about things I can't control. And so that's why I live by now is like control what I can control, do it with love because 
if I do that, which is so hard, then I can navigate these things. I think that's what led to me having a good year this year and being more prepared. Like I can always go back to that now when I, I feel like things coming on and I feel like, Oh, I'm too tied to this. And I, things are out of my control. I got to be like, Hey, whoa, remember you've done this so many times. Don't fall into that trap again. So it just takes a lot of work. And people tell you this, kids can listen to this and think, Oh, I'm going to figure that out myself or I don't need that. It's like, Hey, don't worry. It'll find you when you're ready and you better be ready to handle it. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the, I think that's been the biggest thing that I've learned over my twenties so far is like, you can learn a lesson, but if it's not the right timing for some reason, it just like doesn't hit and you can learn it the hard way and you're going to have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Because if you think, okay, that's happened once, boom, it's not going to happen again. Like that's just not how it works. Like some people, maybe it doesn't, but other people it's going to come and repeat itself and repeat itself. And it's so hard to like, remember that. And I think that's, that's kind of like the fun part of being in your twenties too, in a sense, because we're still like figuring things out. Your brain is still like growing and learning things. And so not all the time are things just like linear progression, but I mean, hopefully it serves for later in life for sure. I know. And I'm, I keep trying to think like, you know, I'm trying to try all different things about what I want to do after my career, but something just keeps sticking out. And I, but I don't know if it's possible, but is it possible to, you know, you lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink kind of thing, but is it possible to relate my, what I've gone through to other athletes so that they can be prepared for those? I think they're going to happen regardless, but can they be more equipped for that? And I feel like that's something like a consulting type thing I could do or, or some kind of development thing, because I've, I've lived through it. I've tried to train all these different places. I've tried to, but I always talk about it with people, like, I'm going to ask you, do you think you can tell someone, you know, lead them to the water and, and kind of make them drink it a little bit, like take a sip. Like, is it possible to prepare someone or do they really have to go through it in their own, in their own way? That's like the toughest question ever. Cause I ponder that all the time. Oh man. That's, that's, I mean, like, that's one of the purposes of this podcast for anyone in any aspect of life with the lessons that they can learn from the athletes and coaches that come on, can they apply that and like inspire them, motivate them, but also like learn the positive habits and learn like the pitfalls to avoid. But I think at some point, like you need to learn the skills to handle those pitfalls and rebound faster, but you might still need to go through them in a sense. I think that might. I mean, that's probably that answer will change, but I think that might be along the lines because I think it's hard to just never go through it. Right. Like how can you build like the perfect athlete story that they never have any adversity, then that's going to be really difficult, but like you can, at least, yeah, it would be boring. Like what's the story there. Right. Like, yeah. I kind of think about it. Like, you know, you never play grand theft auto and you like, you play the game as a kid and then somebody gives you like the cheat code list and it's like fun to like get the cheats for a little bit. But then once you have like a, fighter jet flying around the city and you can mess everything up. It's like, this is boring. I just hit X, Y, Z. And I got that. Like, it's, it's not fun. So I try to think of it like, do I want, did I, did I want to be born extremely gifted, not have to work hard at things like that used to really bother me. I, I've trained with some guys. I'm not going to name names, but it's like top NHLers. And you're just like, he doesn't work hard. Yeah. Like, he is so gifted. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And I'm bust my ass and I am like a tweener guy trying to stick in the NHL. You know, some guys have bodies that are just like, I see your posts about like, you know, athlete body versus, you know, we're so worried about aesthetics and stuff. You see like some top guys are just jacked and ripped. Yeah. I'm like a Mike Wazowski. I got a tall, small little torso, long legs, long arms. It's such a hard like thing for me to get working on my speed. It, it takes longer for me. I'm more of a slow twitch than a fast twitch. 
man, does that bother me? But it's, that's going through the process. Do I want it to be easy? Do I want to make a video game character that just walks through the NHL Hall of Famer or something? Would that be really that fun? Right. I, I don't think so. So I try to view it as like the journey. Like when I'm in bad times, it's like, this is what makes it fun. This is what makes it fun. I read books, rich people, you know, talk to a mentor. A guy goes to talk to a six-year-old with a penthouse in New York City. And he's like, what, 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 give me some advice. He's like, man, I would trade this all right now to just go try it again, to go, yeah. go do it again. Once, once you have it, it's like, you got to find something new to do. He's like, I, I got this now. And I just want to go back to being 20 and do the grind and live in a crap house and not sleep and work. Like that's the part you got to cherish. Yes, that's so true. I like the analogy of like Grand Theft Auto because that makes sense. Like, for example, you have the cheat codes, you're passing the game. What happens when the game changes? Like when you have a new game to play, like everyone's sports career ends, but also like sports change. Like there was the bubble season. There was all this adversity and different things that happen. You have to be able to adapt and you can't if you've had no adversity at all, or you haven't had to learn how to do things like the proper way or they're just handed to you. But I, I feel you on that. That's the same thing with snowboarding. Like that's what kind of drove me crazy was I grew up playing hockey. And so for me, I was like, okay, the harder I work, the more it's going to pay off. And of course there was like some political things that happened um, that kind of like altered my effect on that. There was a year I had a horrible coach and he just played his daughter even though I was higher scoring and there was all these things that I started learning, but and in a sense at, I was still like kind of in a bubble myself where I thought it was like the harder you work, the more things are going to pay off. Then I went into snowboarding and that started paying off for me until all of a sudden I got to the national team level and I'm going around the world and I see people who are like partying every night and landing tricks first try. Meanwhile, it takes me like two years to learn the same tricks where they never go to the gym. And you're like doing everything to a T. Right. Right. Like I, I was like the only snowboarder who trained in the gym and like, you would go to the national team training center and be like, uh, even after I retired, I went back there and they like, let me back in. Cause they're like, Oh, we know you, you're the girl who was like always here just training. <laughs> Meanwhile, my, the rest of the athletes like wouldn't train and some of them just avoided injury somehow. Right. But like somehow I would break the bone or get the ones that even as much as I trained in the gym, you just can't avoid, but that's, that's life. And, uh, it's, it's a tough part for sure. And so it's hard. It, it's easy to fall into that comparison game, but it's like something that you have to work so hard to try to avoid. Cause it can like ruin your mindset. So true. And even just having these conversations, like I, you know, knowing what your podcast is about, I knew I'm going to have a great time on this. Cause like, I need to have like a podcast of this every day. Just, it's so hard to get sucked back into your other mindset. Like when you talk about it with someone that understands it, you're like, Oh, it's so, so easy. I'm so pumped. And then you leave here and get back to it. And it's like, what a grind it is to continue to have that mental chatter in your head of keeping it, what we're talking about, keep it like this and don't let the, the voice, like I just think of Lord of the Rings, Smeagol Gollum, like it's just constantly there. He's constantly kind of come over and take your mind. It's just you versus yourself. So, uh, you know, you, I like your post about that. Like, don't compare yourself to others. You know, I'm trying to take something from that. Like I can't compare it to that unreal guy. I just can't. I need to compare myself to myself. I can beat myself and try to beat myself every day. Screw everything else. Oh, it's hard. It It is really hard. I mean, that's like the big reason why I like pumped like I got like way onto this podcast over the pandemic was because similarly like one where I live like I live near Ottawa and it's a really like government town mindset and so I always struggled finding like relatable people like when I was growing up snowboarding there was I was like the only person really competing there's no like big hills around here so um, I kind of just was kind of like alone in that whenever I came home and then everyone from my school you know went off to go work for the government and then that's like all they're going to do um, forever and then of course like 
like I've always been interested in sport and entrepreneurship, which are like two things that like just didn't mesh with the culture of the whole city somewhat. Um, and so when the pandemic happened, all of a sudden there's like more negativity online. There's less of me even being able to seek out and find those people. So I think that's been the biggest gift for me is being able to do this podcast and being able to like use social media to connect with people like yourself, because it's just, it's really great for me even to have these conversations and keep them going when even people around me when I can see them might not be in the same mindset physically, but like now we can zoom people in Europe, zoom people in LA, you know, like we can connect with people who have similar passions and mindsets, no matter where you are in the world. So that's like the one blessing out of this pandemic. I think. I think you and me both benefited from that. Cause I could say the same thing. Like I'm, <clears throat> I'm like that too. I'm the guy that is training when everybody else is doing other things. Like I am that person. And I think it's funny how we're both doing social media because of that, but if you can get a little isolated in the way you think, yeah, uh, I love connecting with people this way. And I would, I think maybe it's uh, tough for other people, but I like, I'm not going to say like I'm, I'm extroverted, but I'm introvert. I keep a small tight circle, but it's just fun to like talk about in these settings and stuff and not just going out and, and doing things after hockey. Like it's been a, been a really, you just have to take anything that happens. I try to look at when the pandemic hit, it's like, how can I make this a beneficial time instead of an awful time? Cause I feel like Right now, if I don't do anything, it could be a pretty awful time. Like, it just seems like awful. The world's never gone through this in modern times. But trying to focus on that positive aspect and, and writing that authoring I did, I was like, hey, what can I control? What can I do to make this time thrive? And I think I'm coming. I just wanted to say I came out of this quarantine and this how long it is like, better than I was before. And I think that's what sounds like what you've done, too. And it, it makes you feel pretty damn good about it. Yeah, I think it's been a great time for people who've been able to use it for like reflection and personal growth and things like that. And when you're able to like turn adversity into a chance to be adaptable and grow, um, that's just amazing. But again, like both of us are pretty privileged in the fact, like I work from home, I can train from home, I can do everything, you know, similar with you, you get to play pro sports. Obviously some people have gone through things during this past year that they can't control that hasn't allowed them the same, you know, time to process things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a crazy year for bringing people closer together, but also, you know, dividing people somewhat, but going through this, like this crazy year, but also just in general, as a pro hockey player, what are ways that you take care of your mental health when you're on the road? Um, and also I'll actually touch on this too. Like what are ways that you take care of your physical health too? Cause I'm like a recovery nerd. So I'd love some of those, those tips as well. Yeah. Um, well, the start of the recovery stuff, I've tried like ice bathing and I've tried a lot of different things. I don't know. For me, I think you just got to find your own recipe that like works. So for me, I just know I got to get my eight hours of sleep roughly. Um, I have to eat clean and stay between 213, 217. That's my window. Don't stress about being 10%. I've tried being 230 and like 12%. I've tried being 206%, but I bet like right in the middle is good. Stop stressing about that. I need a little body fat on me to be a hockey player. I need to have that endurance. So I, as long as I eat well, sleep well, and then, um, in season, just make sure that I'm on top of my conditioning. All my, um, all my confidence comes from my conditioning. I'm an energy type player. So even through the taxi squad and stuff and, Oh, it's getting crappy being on the taxi squad. This sucks. It's like, no, no, no. I can, there's an assault bike always there. does mm. not matter. Like I can always go ride that thing. And it is the closest to skating without skating. And some days they would kick us off the ice. You know, the taxi squad only gets 15 minutes on chopped up bikes. And it's like, are you serious? But no, no, it's not an excuse. I can go ride the bike, take care of that. If I take care of that stuff, then I'm mentally, physically prepared to do my job. So it, it, it's too much information. I've had Garmin watches that told me everything. I've, I've been offered the Whoop band. I'm just like, it's just too much. It's just too much. I, I already know that I can't handle that much. I need yeah. sleep, 
good food, hydration, be in shape, and everything's going to take care of itself. Um, mental health aspect, I'm kind of going through um, a little bit of a discovery process with that. Like I'm a very up and down person just naturally. I don't usually sit in this four to six range. I'm like a three to seven, to, you know, and kind of usually on the upper end, I really always buzzing, which I think is very awesome, but also want to like be able to be more even killed and stuff. So I'm trying to look into that right now. Um, just being aware of things though, right? Like talking about it with your partner or your, your parents, like we have to change that discussion around mental health is something you keep to yourself, right? The whole, you're, you're um, sick, not weak. Or even if you're not technically sick and have, you know, chemicals out of your brain, we all deal with some form of depre uh, depression and mental health. We have to, I just think it's, it's inevitable. So talking about that with your friends and family and, and obviously noticing if they are a little off or hopefully they tell you if I'm a little off asking how I've been, I try to just be more aware of it. Cause then I can stay on top. It's like, okay, I'm revving a little like high, like maybe go read a book, like, chill out a little bit or if I can kind of read my temperature I'm a little low um get back to doing things that I like make more time for you know getting to the gym early getting good warm-up I don't know it's it's just, what mental health for me is just kind of like an awareness thing right now as I continue to figure it out it gets just the growth process yeah yeah I think yeah just the discussion about mental health is so important especially in the sports space because it's still not talked about enough I mean it's making headlines now but it's still not quite there yet. Um, but everything you said with the, the physical recovery, I think that makes so much sense. Like there's so many new technologies and tools and all these things that you can do, but it's, it is overwhelming. And that's like the main part of recovery. I had a CrossFit coach who sent me, like, I was like, I'll do anything. Like I, I've worn my whip band. Like I'm like a founding member. So I've, I have like four years plus of data on there. Um, I have an ice bath out there. Actually, I might go do that later. Thing, um, yeah. Right. But like he, he sent me this like pyramid and it was like this pyramid of recovery and like sleep is like, and nutrition. Those are like the core, but you, people don't realize that like if a recovery method, for example, like having an ice bath gives you like a lot of stress or anxiety about it, or like it takes so much work to like set it up and do these things. It actually like can inhibit your recovery because your whole thing about recovery is you want to be spending more time in your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're getting stressed out about like, oh, I need to buy this, I need to do this, then you're doing the exact opposite of recovery. So mm -hmm. I love that you as a professional athlete, like can attest that like just focusing on the basics and covering those things and like finding what just works for you is like the best way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I think because I used to, do, again, I used to do all those things and I've tried pretty much everything there is. Um, but really what matters is like, the mental side of it. Like I still, it's crazy to me that we still train our bodies. Like we think that's the only thing to do, but the mental part, part of it for me, like, I don't know, like training hard all summer builds you the confidence, but I just think if I train hard, I just step on the ice and it'll just happen. But it's like, no, no, like once I step on the ice, I have to be in that, like, doesn't guarantee anything. Working hard doesn't guarantee anything. You have to go execute. So now I'm just all about being like, so present, like whether I work out, that's, you know, I'm present, but when it comes down to like compete competition, like the only thing that truly matters, I could be hungover. I could be all these things, which I'm not, but guys are, but like, you just have to compete. Like you just have to lock it in and compete. And it's like, it's so easy to say, but I don't know. That's the only thing that really matters when it comes down to the day. That's what I found. If you're dialed in on your details, you put in the preparation of, whatever my role is in hockey. Like for me, I do a lot of visualization. So, um, that helps me lock it in. Like all the little people watch a hockey game. And it's like, if you don't understand hockey, it just looks like passing the puck around. There's so much going on so many intricacies. So 
Um, and in my, a guy with my role, I cannot make mistakes. I just can't, like, I have to, I have to be like a 95 out of a hundred on puck, like simple plays and all that stuff. So I, I try to, my meditation in season is just going through my reads, whatever the system is that year, I just lay down. And my random meditation is I go through the whole, every situation I could possibly get in. And this is how I'm going to react. And then I go out on the ice before I do it kind of, I don't, I don't pregame nap because I'm always buzzing. And so I lie down and do it again there. And then I go out to the game. I go to the, on the bench before the game. And I, I go out and stand there with my stick and I do everything again over hitting the board, stick on puck, everything, all the little things. And then once I get to the game, then I'm present. Cause if I'm not prepared, I cannot be present. So that's, that's kind of been my thing lately is like that visualization and just knowing every single read, like guys, guys make mistakes like five minutes of the season. And the coach is like, we've literally been talking about this every day. It's like, it's guys just aren't prepared. They're just not prepared. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that, that uh, tip on presence. Cause I think that's so important. And I think like what you said with the mental side of things, you got to take care of that stuff to be present in the moment. Like if you have stuff going on outside that all carries forward. And so it's just, it's so funny when people like comment and say, Oh, like these guys are being paid a million dollars. Like what do they have to be worried about? What, what do they have to do with mental health? Like you don't understand, like they're still human. They're going all through all these things and it affects them in their day-to-day job because yeah, I mean, it affects everybody in their day-to-day job, but especially as an athlete, it's hundred percent physical and hundred percent mental. And like, you need to be completely on, like you can type away on Excel in like an office job and kind of be like, not even there. You can't do that as a pro athlete. Oh, and, no. um, and it just makes me laugh so hard when people are like, you they're paying these guys and all they do is play this one hour game. I'm like, it is a hundred percent of your time, like your entire life. And it's like decades of being unpaid when you're a kid of playing and, and it's how you sleep. It's everything that goes into it. That is so like unpaid that people don't see that equals up to like this big payday. Maybe for some sports, there's not really that payday and it's the same sacrifices, right? That's crazy. Like snowboarding, like you have to be an elite, elite snowboarder to make a lot of money doing that. Right. So the people that do top three, you know, like like people who do like, that's crazy to me. I'm so just think about how grateful I am just to, you know, first of all, be a male in hockey because we know how like it's so different, but to be able to make a living at my, like what I, the passion I fell into, like it's extremely grateful. You fell into snowboarding, which is not going to set you up for life unless you're Sean white or whatever. Right. Like it's, it's a tough thing. So I, I, man, it's so much about being grateful. Um, that's, that's a big thing too. Like what you're talking about and playing in the NHL and then all the bad things can happen, but just to be grateful, to be healthy, to wake up in the morning, to be able to call my mom, she's healthy. My girlfriend's healthy, chasing her things. My brother's traveling the world. He's happy. Like just to wake up with that, that just gives me a lot of uh, power in the morning. Whenever I'm like stressing about little dumb things and, uh, oh, I I ran out of my, ran out of something in the fridge. I go back to the store and you get running around. It's like, dude, just, we are so lucky, dude. The chances of being a human being born in, like, first of all, being a human being is like one in 4 trillion or whatever, 400 trillion, like Gary Vee says. And to be born in Canada and have to be able to be a middle-class family and to raise well, like should never be grumpy about anything and upset about anything, honestly, seriously, like it's crazy. Yeah. Well, gratitude is such a game changer. It's funny because earlier today we were watching this, uh, my boyfriend and I were watching this YouTube video of this like teen phenom CrossFit Games athlete and her HRV is like insane, like insane. Like I've never seen anyone's HRV this high. So I'm like, how 
little stress does she have in her life? Like, I am like really jealous of this, like HRV metric because I'm like, that's insane. Like I can do every recovery method and mine's not even half of like what that is. It doesn't even, not even like a quarter of what that is. Right. And so then we were thinking about like HRV. And so he was researching and he's like, wow, one of the top things was like gratitude. And I was like, why do you think every night at dinner? I'm like, Hey, what are you grateful for today? And even if he had like a bad day at work, I'm like, like, find something like, is it like our dog? Is it like this house? Like, is it like we're close to nature? Like we have to find something because it is like this proven that gratitude makes changes in your brain over the long term. And so, you know, when people are like, oh, I need to buy the Normatec leg things, I need to buy this, like, that's cool. But like, do you practice gratitude every day? Cause that's free <laughs> and it's going to make a big difference. That's it's fuel. It really is. Like you got to really, that's awareness thing. You know, that's a young kid thing when you're wrapped up in stuff going on. That's what, you know, you wish you could go back and have that grateful mindset when I just first made the OHL and I have that tough year or whatever. And it's like, man, you know, lucky you are to be there just by happenstance of things working like, Oh man, it's such a, a large thing, but life's like literally is just suffering. Like that's what it is. It can be defined as suffering and you need to, if you don't focus on the positives, cause I'm, I'm a naturally growing up pessimistic and I'm really trying to change that. If you don't focus on the positives man, is it way, way, way harder to live every day. It really is. Like it's, uh, for being a person that used to just only live in that, it's it's a big difference. If you are like that out there and listening, like if you are constantly focused on that, you gotta, you gotta feed your brain. Like even just being in activism and man, does it have benefits to come back? And, and I'm constantly feeding my brain of people overcoming things that have gone through awful things um, you know, you feed your brain, you watch that YouTube video or whatever. I'll try to watch with one thing a day that like uplifts me. Cause that's, we got to focus on that stuff. There's so much bad out there. Uh, yeah. If you're not willing to think you're right where you're supposed to be and things happen for a reason, it's going to be miserable. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Well, I think that's a, that's a great place to kind of leave off. I have two questions I like to end things with. I'm sure we could chat forever about mindset and gratitude <laughs> and all those things. It's been awesome. Um, but the first question that I ask everybody is out of all the daily habits you have, what is that one game changer one? And we just talked about gratitude. So like, I guess something different than that one. Um, I don't know, like, uh... That's an interesting question. Maybe the thing that jumps to mind is like, whenever you're, you know, you have that voice in your head that sometimes like you're tired. I don't know if I should do it. It's like, just always do it. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. one thing for me. Like sometimes you're like, Oh, do I need to do that extra little stick handle? I don't know. Everything's just repetition, repetition. And you got to get used to just the boredom of that, even no matter how much you love stick handling or something or doing like something for your sport, it's just inevitable. It's going to suck at some point, but just, being able to be comfortable in that and working through that, just do it, do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Don't just always do it instead of don't, I don't know. That's my thing. I try to do every day. Mm, I think that's a really good one. And I think it, it, you can kind of tie back into like, you talked about the importance of presence. That's one of the hardest things to be present in is when you, you're like, okay, I have to do this again. You've done it a million times, but it's like, you can do it that million and one time, but if you're not present, it's not going to like, stack up oh, right right like quick thing is like in hockey like to talk about hockey sense and as a kid i was only told just skate hard like darcy, darcy tucker hit everything and just your grinder hard, hard hard i was never taught to like like looking over your shoulder is hockey sense so it's like a small weird thing but it's totally changing how i play and i can't believe kids aren't taught this but like i'm doing a iso split squat today holds like in the early part of my phases of training and i'm just adding now while i'm doing that i'm nothing else to do think about pain 
oh, I got to get comfortable with the pain. And I'm like, literally, like, I'm in the gym, people are thinking crazy. I'm like practicing skating and a split squat holding it, checking my shoulder because, like, if I can see it, I know I can make the play. And I, I don't know, it's just little things like that. That's a present thing. I could have just been la la la, you know, it hurts, but like adding layers to like my training, like that's changing things for me. Mm, yeah, that's a great, that's a great motto. Like go the extra mile and like practice you know, practice those little things because it is true. Like those little things add up. And that's like the difference between Michael Jordan and the other players who sat on the bench, but played for the same team. Everything repetition and viewing the simplest things over and over consistently. Love that. So last one is you're at the end of your life. You're looking back. What's the impact that you wanted to have made in one word? Hmm. The one word is hard. <laughs> yeah, that is. I don't know. Um, just, just passion, I guess, have passion for what you do and not, not just for like your main thing, like have passion in other areas. Cause you could get attached to it. That whole thing. I don't know. Just live your life with passion. That's how I want to be looked back on. I had, you know, I was passionate on the ice. I was passionate off the ice, passionate in my relationships, my family with everyone. That's, that's my word for sure. I love that. Well, this has been amazing to chat all these different topics. Uh, I want people to check out all the amazing work that you're doing with advocacy, as well as I know you shared like the people that you learn from. Um, so they'll be able to find them through that. Um, so I'll put your Instagram for sure in the show notes for anyone listening. If you don't already follow Curtis, you should definitely be doing that. Um, is there anywhere else that I should send people? No, just, I just think we all can, um, you know, like anything, you set time to meditate a day, you set time to do extra work on your counting job. You set extra time to cook with your family. It's like, you can, we need to set all a little bit of time. It just start really small. It could be 10 minutes of Google search a week about like things that happened in the past about activism, social issues. Like we need everybody to do more because you would want to, do, you would want someone to be doing that if you were raised in generations of hate and poverty and oppression. Like you would want people that haven't gone through that to give a damn. That's just what I leave it at. I love that. It's a great way to leave it off. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. appreciate all the work that you do. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Now it was a lot of fun. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.